Good to see you guys. Um, we're going to be going to the book of Hebrews. That's New Testament. Uh, chapter 12 this morning. So if you want to go ahead and go there or begin looking for that book, um, I will do the same. Is there someplace? There we go. Um, bonus announcement just before we jump into the book of Hebrews. Next Sunday, um, we are going to try to have a baptismal filled up in the front here. We've had a few people over the last few weeks ask questions about baptism. Getting baptized um, is kind of a big deal. As a follower of Jesus, Jesus commanded us to get baptized, um, and it's one of the few things that we get to participate in as sort of 21st century Christians that actually involves our whole bodies. You ever think about baptism that way? So much of our, our spirituality, if I can put it that way, consists of just like thinking and occasionally feeling. Um, but there's not a whole lot to do with our, our body. It's one of the reasons why we receive communion every Sunday. It actually gives us a very simple opportunity to, to do more than just think and feel. Um, and baptism, this is why I'm, a lot of reasons why I'm excited about baptism, but I'm like, man, this is such an incredible gift to us. A radical act of faith. It's a picture of surrender. When we go underwater, it's saying I'm dying with Jesus. I'm surrendering my rights, I'm dying to self. There's a lot of different metaphors for that, but it's essentially that. And I go underwater, I'm dying with Jesus, and then when I'm raised back up, I'm being raised with Jesus to experience new life, his life. Life that begins now and continues all the way for eternity. And that's baptism, it's really no more complicated than that. A lot of people get really nervous about it though because it is, it's a, it's a bold thing, it's a radical thing. It's a family affair, people get to sort of witness it and, and celebrate it with you. It's like, it's like the newborn coming into the world and all the aunties and uncles pass around the cigars and the, they don't really do that in hospitals anymore, do they? <laughs> it's probably good. The baptism. If you have any questions about getting baptized, please grab me, uh, maybe grab Dave. Remember Dave, where'd you go, Dave? Oh, he's downstairs, I thought he was under the pew, okay. <laughs> grab myself, let's have a conversation about it. Um, and then perhaps if there's anyone that wants to get baptized next week, we're gonna do that and it's gonna be an amazing moment for us as a family. Hebrews chapter 12. Starting in verse one. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending uh, the Holy Spirit to be with us and to be in us, to teach us, to guide us into all truth. Lord, would you help us this morning as we consider these words, uh, your word, Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, would you be present? Would you demonstrate your presence here with us in a way that we don't just go through the motions? We want to experience more of you. We want to, we want to know what it truly means to be your sons and daughters in Christ. Help us, Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Here's a question. When was the last time you woke up early before dawn and thought to yourself, you know what? I am winning. <laughs> I am winning. When was the last time you went to bed late at night? It was a long day. All the things, all the challenges, and the last thought in your mind as you dozed off was, today, I won. I am a winner. Winning in life, that's me. Yeah. All the time. I knew there'd be one. <laughs> There's probably more, more than one. In fact, I hope, wouldn't it be amazing if the whole, the whole lot of us were like, yeah, we're all we're just winning. That's how I feel all the time. Occasionally, I have a hard day, but in general, I'm just like, that's the thought. I'm winning. Um, that's, that's not, I'll confess, I'll be the first to set aside pretense. Um, yeah, I often don't wake up thinking that. I think, oh my goodness, it's way too early to be getting up. Didn't sleep well again. Um, and occasionally, I get around, more often than not, I get around to opening the Bible. I start to pray. I usually have to remind myself to pray. It never feels very natural. Maybe, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Um, but I remind myself to pray, and then I, I can inaudibly, but definitely begin to hear the voice of my Father remind me who I am. And then that feeling or that thought begins to arise up in me, like, no, no, I, I am gonna win today. In fact, I, th I think I am a winner because Jesus is my king. Because Jesus ran the race before me. Not, he not only completed it, um, but he won it. And now in Christ, I'm a winner. And I, but I have to kinda like, I gotta get there. That's usually not how I wake up in the morning. There's a verse elsewhere in the New Testament um, that says, do you not know that all who uh, run the race, all who, all those who run in the race must run, but only one wins the prize. Therefore, run in such a way that you might win the prize. Are you guys feeling that? All of a sudden, the spirit moves. Such a way that you might win the prize. 
I'm not really sure what to do with this. It, I, it, I imagined it differently in my mind. You can kind of fade it out a little bit. Just a little. You can leave it running, but just down a little bit, please. Okay, that's good. Just leave, yeah, leave it right there for now. Okay. We're beginning a new sermon series. This is actually the introduction. In case you're wondering, like, what is happening? This is the introduction to our series called Cloud of Witnesses. We're going to take a journey through the Old Testament, looking at all of those who've gone before us. Uh, the verse we read, or the two verses we, that we read out of Hebrews chapter 12, says, therefore, uh, considering the great cloud of witnesses that we have around us, let us also run with endurance. That's at the very end of Hebrew chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, which lists all of the saints who've gone ahead, all of those who have trusted in the faithfulness of God, who ran their races, and now we're encouraged. Consider the great cloud of witnesses. And I imagine, I imagine running a race, and I'm not a runner. I imagine I'm running and I'm looking up at the stand, and there's Abel. And he, we make eye contact in a moment. He's like, and it's all in slow motion. And I look over this way, and the great cloud of witnesses, there's Enoch. And then I blink, and he's gone. Where did Enoch go? Classic Enoch. And I'm running, and I'm running. There I look, I look over here, and there's Abraham and Sarah. Go, go. I don't know where I'm going. Go anyways. Just keep running. And I see Jacob and Rebecca, Isaac and 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 uh, Leah and Rachel. That's a little awkward. And then I, but they're like, go, go, go. begin to be reminded this is who I am in Christ this is what it looks like to win the race okay, you can fade it out now thank you it, it, it did it this is what it looks like to run in such a way as to win the prize so this is the series we're going to spend about 16 weeks in the Old Testament looking at all these different saints, saints as they're listed in the book of Hebrews. Now, so this is the introduction, right? And the second, we're gonna begin with our first person, our first story. And it's the first one listed in Hebrews 11, and that is Abel, the son of Adam and Eve. We're gonna go way, way back, way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter four, just a sec, excuse me, just a second. It's important as we consider this metaphor of running the race, because it's a metaphor, right? As we consider the metaphor, we've got to define the when, obviously, but then we also need to define the winning. The win is, is fairly straightforward in my opinion. It's to be where Jesus is. It's to be with him to finally arrive home. We get, we get a foretaste in this life, but there's a deep longing and eternal ache in our soul that says, but there's, there's more. I'm longing to be truly face to face with the lover of my soul. We long for that, we ache for that. To be where Jesus is, that's the win. And in his presence, 
there is fullness of joy. But the winning, along the way, what does it look like to be winning the race? Am I doing it right, if I can put it that way? Am I running in the right direction? Am I exhausting myself? Am I, have I found my rhythm? What does that look like? And that's, that's really the purpose of this series. Let's consider, let's remember that the win is always to be where Jesus is, to be with him. But what does it look like to be winning? How, how do we, how do we run this race in such a way that we might truly win the prize. Genesis chapter four. Let's begin with Abel. You can turn there if you'd like or you can just listen. Now, this is Genesis chapter four. We're gonna read verses one through 10. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. Uh, They had sex. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, he was a shepherd. And Cain, his older brother, a worker of the ground, he was a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to um, to Abel, his brother, and when they were afraid, or when they were in the field, sorry, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. We'll stop there. That's the story of Cain and Abel. That's Abel's story. It's really all we know about him. There's a few obscure verses that refer to Abel in the New Testament, but that's a story. Consider the great cloud of witnesses, and there's Abel in the stand, and we see him, we make eye contact, and he fist pumps us, and we think, that's right, that's right. That's, that's a man who ran his race in such a way so as to win the prize. What do you make of it? What do you make of it? I think the first and most obvious thing that we could say is that it's an odd example a man who brought an offering, his first and best from his, uh, his livestock, his livelihood. He took the first from the offspring of his flock and he presented it to God as, a, as an offering. 
like a, a, an expression of gratitude, a way of acknowledging that like God is my provider and without him, I would have nothing. And for a shepherd and a farmer, that's real. And that's, that's what it was. For some reason, I've heard all sorts of opinions about it. I've read all of the commentaries, some good, good ideas out there. But for some reason, God accepts Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And we're not actually told why explicitly. So perhaps we'll just leave it at that. God accepts Abel's offering, but not Cain's. So Abel brought a good offering. The Lord was like, yes, well, well done. That, that pleases me. I can see your heart. I can see your faith. I can see what you're doing. Well done, well done. And what does he get for it? Murdered. Consider Abel. What an odd example. This is what it looks like to win, to run in such a way so as to win the prize. Bring your best to God. Like Abel, who got murdered by his brother. This race that Jesus has set before us, the great prize coming home, being with him, the lover of our soul. What does it look like to run in such a way so as to win the prize? What does winning look like? Sometimes it looks like losing. Sometimes it looks like complete failure. Does it not? Um, there's an odd, a peculiar, a wonderfully peculiar way about the kingdom of God. The way that Jesus lived his life, ran his race, and then invites us to run ours. It, it can look a lot like, well, this isn't winning at all. This dude's getting promoted. This girl's getting the guy, or this person got that thing that I really like, and why did he get asked to do that? And all of the things that we are tempted to point at and say, well, that's, that's the win. If anyone cares that, to know my opinion, that's the win. And as we're living our lives like in the quote unquote world, you know what I mean by that? So like there's the, there's the world which the Bible sort of refers to the world as this like, it's, it's this system, it's this natural way of the world. It's a bit carnal, it's a bit um, political, it's a bit hopeless, it's, it's, it, it involves the way we use our money, it involves the way we use people, it involves the way I view myself, it involves the way I grapple with my own mortality, and the quote unquote world, or the world system, has a certain way of sort of understanding all of that. That's the world. Um, and there really is truly no hope in that, in that perspective, in that. Some good things, some good things, um, but on an eternal scale, I don't know, the, the world is lost. It's broken. Um, it's cursed, to use biblical language. 
And then Jesus enters into the broken world and he invites us to follow him. Come this way, follow me. I am who you're looking for and the freedom you desire and the joy you long for. I I have it, I'm it. Now follow me, walk with me, run with me, run this race, this way. And along the way, if it feels like you're losing, it could be because you are winning. And it feels like you're, you're like swimming uphill. You're, you're fighting, you're, but it's, it's a peculiar race. It's a peculiar race. And maybe this is Christianity 101, and maybe we just need to be reminded of that once a Sunday. This is a peculiar race, and sometimes winning can look a lot like losing because Abel brought an acceptable sacrifice, and it ended up in um, tragic, violent conflict. Um, Some of you may have heard, um, I heard it on the radio this week, about the Guatemalan bishop, the Catholic bishop, who had been arrested. Um, His name was Rolando Alvarez. Does anyone hear about this? Bit of an obscure event. But this is a Catholic bishop in uh, Guada, not Guatemala, Nicaragua, sorry. Nicaragua, one of many, many people arrested on political charges for like uh, disseminating uh, false information and conspiracy and this kind of thing. And uh, I don't know all of the details of what's going on in Nicaragua, Nicaragua. But apparently there's a lot of injustice happening. A lot of people are being imprisoned and suffering. And uh, this was one of those people. Because he was a bishop in the Catholic Church, he was granted uh, like exile. Basically we said, hey, you can get on a plane and Nicaraguan authorities will permit you to get on a plane, come to America where you can like be free. And you can write and protest, do all the things you wanna do. And um, here's the story. So there was a plane with 222 political exiles on this plane about to fly back to the US. And this Catholic bishop, he gets up to the very top of the steps and just as he's about to step on this American plane, he turns around and he says, let them go free. I will pay their sentence. And he turns around and he walks back to prison where he'll now probably spend the rest of his life. Winning this race can oftentimes sound like suffering well. Let them go free. I will pay their sentence. Abel's blood, though he died, he still speaks from the ground. Though he suffered unjustly, his testimony speaks volumes to the work that God is doing in that life. Sometimes as we feel like, and by the way, let me say this as well, you know there's nothing that's more uh, discouraging when you're running a race than to feel like you're losing. You guys know that feeling? It's one of the reasons why I don't race. I'll share this story with you. When I was a middle school teacher, I remember this, it's one of these like obscure moments, but I just remember it so vividly. 
uh, it was this sort of like teacher versus student relay competition, and we were running. And uh, one of my co-teachers, my, my fellow teacher's colleague, uh, Mr. Carey, he was also a math and science teacher, very competitive. And so we're in this foot race, relay race, and the teachers are doing okay, but sixth, seventh, and eighth graders can actually be pretty dang fast. <laughs> Faster than me. And we're running, and I know that I'm a terrible runner. I know that I'm slow. Mr. Carey puts us way out in the lead, then it's my turn, I'm just kinda like, and I'm making sort of a joke out of it, like ha ha ha, like I don't even care. And I get back and Mr. Carey is like, what's wrong with you? You don't even wanna win, do you? (laughs) The truth is, I was so afraid of losing that I would rather pretend like I didn't care to win. I made a joke out of it. But I think the Spirit of God does something in us that says, yes, arise. Yes, run. Overcome. Live the life that I've saved you for. Greatness awaits you. Great things that I've prepared for you. Your life matters. And even though it may appear to some as if you're losing, no, you are winning. And even though there might be mornings where you feel like you're losing, take heart and know that as you suffer well, there's a great power in the testimony of faithful believers. Sometimes winning sounds like let them go, let them go. I'll pay pay their sentence. That's living like Jesus. It hurts, it's painful, and it's glorious. It's wonderful, it's powerful. It's what winning looks like. Winning this race, winning this race looks like tying for first. Anyone see Ford versus Ferrari? Good movie, huh? Um, So the two main characters, Ken Miles and Carol Shelby. Uh, Carol Shelby, he used to race, retired because of a heart condition, now designs race cars. He links up with his buddy, Ken Miles, a British racer, but with a real attitude, but feisty, was always getting kicked off of the track because of his his issues. But he's an awesome racer. So Kerry Shelby, played by Matt Damon, gets Ken Miles, played by Christian Bale, and he says, look, we can build a Ford race car and stick it to those Italians, because it's all about Ford versus Ferrari, right? And they build this car together. And it's as you imagine, they finally get to this, uh, this epic 24-hour, the, the, um, what's it called, the, the Le Mans race in France. It's this epic 24-hour race. And uh, Ken Miles ends up getting in the lead by like couple laps. And it's this epic like underdog story. Dude's gonna win the race. The guy who was constantly losing, constantly getting ejected because of his issues, his brokenness, all of his junk is now gonna win the Le Mans. And just before the race is over, one of the execs from the Ford team 
He talks to Matt Damon and says, you gotta get your guy to slow down because we want all three of the Ford, uh, GT40s, whatever they were called, to finish at the same time. It would be an epic photo op if all three of our Ford cars, because there was a team, right, would all cross the finish line together. And so it's Ken Miles. He's, he's like, oh, really? That's what the execs want. And he speeds up and he starts setting new records just like that. And then in a moment, you see him looking in his rearview mirror. And you can, you can kind of tell what he's thinking. Like, maybe I should slow down. You know, maybe my problem all this time is I've been going, I've been, I've been fighting for something, trying to prove something, and for what? Where has it gotten me? So he slows down, slows way down. And here come the other two, his teammates, the other two Ford cars. And then, of course, all three of them pass the finish line simultaneously. They get the, the picture. Ken Miles' wife is watching live from their, their home on the television. And she says out loud, good for you. Well done. And she could tell her husband all of his pain and angst finally sort of has this moment where he realizes, I have nothing to prove. And they finish together. They all tie for first, except they don't. So it turns out because Ken Miles had started before McLaren, his teammate, his teammate actually ended up getting first place as they all crossed the finish line together. But here's the coolest part of it all. So he gets out of the car and he realizes what's happened. He's like, oh my gosh. And you're expecting him to just be furious and throw a tantrum. And he's like, well... His buddy, Carol, uh, Carol Shelby, walks up and he tells him what's happening and Ken Miles is like, eh, let's go build a faster car. And they walk up, so they're all celebrating, champagne popping, they're lifting up the trophy and driver and, and friend are walking off the track dreaming about the next race, dreaming about building the next big car. And it's not about finishing first. It's about your relationships. It's about what are we doing together And it's not about my glory. It's not about my, you know, quote unquote calling and all the big dreams that I have as an individual. Although we are individuals and that's fine. I don't want to sound too harsh. But the kingdom, this race, winning looks like not who you leave behind, but who you finish beside. And so in our ultra-individualistic Western world, sorry to sound so cliche, but in this world we live where it's all about the individual's spiritual journey, the individual's spiritual awakening, how can I maximize my spiritual disciplines for my own personal fulfillment? And yes, of course, others will benefit, but really this is about me and my private race. And we consider Abel what happened there? What was, what, was, what was the big loss? It wasn't that one brother's sacrifice wasn't acceptable. God was like, look at, hey, hey, chin up, chin up. Like, the race isn't over. You'll, you'll do better next time. Learn, o- overcome sin. But where's your brother? Where's your brother? I love the way, by the way, this is the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible. You know that. Genesis chapter four. The Hebrew word is hatat. 
It sounds a bit like if your child was going to touch the stove. Hot, hot. That's, there you go. Now you, you learned a Hebrew word. Hebrew word for sin, hot, hot. It's the first time it appears. Says something. There's something um, when you're studying hermeneutics, it's the art and science of interpreting scripture. Um, note the first time a word shows up in the Bible. It's meaningful. It sets a, a kind of a precedent. The first time sin shows up in the Bible, it's actually personified as this crouching uh, creature, this um, sinister beast that's looking for an opportunity to spring and attack. Cain's problem wasn't his brother. Cain's problem was sin. Now that's not to say that Cain wasn't personally responsible for his sin, as if there was this just like outside force just acting upon him. But the point, I think theologically, what the storyteller is helping us to understand is that actually the fight, the good fight, the race, as it were, is never against brother against brother. It's always brothers fighting together to overcome, fighting together against spiritual forces of wickedness, fighting together against injustice, fighting together against heresy, fighting together against lies, fighting together against the things that would threaten our relationship. And that's the tragedy of the Cain and Abel stories, that one brother turned on another. A brother became murderer, which is why the good news of the gospel is that the ministry of reconciliation is at hand. God in Christ came to reconcile brothers, that enemies might become lovers, that we would be reconciled to each other and to our creator, our father. So winning this race looks like tying for first. You know, it's possible to live your life in such a way that you have all of the appearances of godliness and yet deny the very power of God. That's what the Bible says. You can master your spiritual disciplines. You can surpass all others in the knowledge that you've acquired and still come in dead last. Because winning looks like crossing the finish line together. Locking arms, fighting for one another, bearing with one another. That is the power of God at work in the body of Christ. And we bear with one another with patience and humility, eager to maintain the unity The bond of unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is Ephesians 4. That's the power of God at work in the church. Brothers not fighting, but fighting for one another. Tying for first place. Relinquishing rights. Putting the interests of others even before my own. Lastly, winning this race means staying close to Jesus. If you remember nothing else, if you remember nothing else over the next 16 weeks, including Easter, winning this race 
looks like staying close to Jesus. Because you're not gonna win this race by mastering spiritual techniques. You're gonna win by staying close to the master. At the end, we cross the finish line not because I've learned all the right things and I've mastered all the right moves. It's because I've learned to collapse in the strength of the greater one, King Jesus, who runs the race, who's able to make me stand, who is truly faithful even when I'm not. That's how we win. That's what winning looks like. Not getting stronger, not getting faster, not getting smarter, but by getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus, and then we become more like him. Then we become strong like him, and then we become wise like him, and then we become full of peace like him. Not just because we've mastered his techniques, but because we're close to him. In the kingdom, in the weird race of the kingdom, power is always experienced in proximity to the powerful one. Not by just getting and mastering his teachings. It's by saying, Jesus, I'm only gonna make it to the end of this thing if I learn how to be carried by you when I'm weak. Practically, because you may be thinking, yeah, I think I've heard that before. That sounds biblical. Practically, this is the simplest and hardest part. How do you get close to Jesus? It's quite a journey. It involves meditating on scripture. I kind of made a big deal out of it. It's not about knowledge. It's not about learning more. And yet, is the, the paradox of it. The more I meditate on God's word, the more I begin to hear his voice speaking to me. The more time I spend learning how to pray which is a spiritual discipline. The more I develop that habit, the more I begin to live in the presence of Jesus. I met a brother here last week. (laughs) We had the, the most bizarre and wonderful conversation. He started asking me, it was his first time at Grace City, and he said, hey, um, do you guys to believe, believe in the, he, he referred to it as the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Grace City. And I said, mm-hmm, yep. And he said, okay, awesome. Do you guys practice the gifts of the Spirit? And I was like, we try, we try. <laughs> awesome. And then I, and I said, so I mean, personally, like I, I kind of got what he was getting at. Like, do you guys, are you guys into like spiritual gifts and stuff? So I was like, look, I pray in tongues virtually every day. It's, it's one of my, my habits, as it were. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd like to fast much more. Um, I've been fasting all weekend. It's been miserable and awesome. Um, 
getting ready for our mission trip to London. And, uh, and we had this conversation. Then he asked me this. This is the weird question. He says, when you're praying the Spirit, do you time yourself? And I, mean, and I said to him, you mean like with a stopwatch? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what I said? I used to do that all the time. It was so weird. I'd completely forgotten about that. At some, I don't remember why I got it in my mind or who recommended it, but I remember there was a time in my life when I was like super busy doing all these things and I wanted so badly to cultivate this like lifestyle of consistent prayer that I was like, all right, I'm gonna like set a little goal, just a little goal, and I did that. A little goal, I'm gonna pray for, and I don't remember, it was like two minutes a day or something. Two minutes a morning, I'm gonna set the top and stopwatch, and it was fantastic. Now you could think, oh my goodness, how legalistic of you. Don't judge me. It was wonderful. I can actually think back, I can point to that season in my life as a, as a formative time of, of growing and in, in like the discipline of prayer and connecting with Jesus. Here's my point. Can you tell how I'm, trying, I'm desperately trying to nuance all of this? Because on one hand, it's not about me like perfecting some sort of a spiritual regiment, but on the other hand, it is very practical. It's like my marriage with my wife. We've, there's been seasons in our life where we've like, okay, we're gonna have a conversation today. And so we're gonna set the time. We've literally done this. We're gonna set the time. You talk for five minutes, then I'll talk for five minutes, and then we'll like conversate for five minutes. And we've literally set the timer because that's what it took. And that's what it takes sometimes. I'm, I'm not commenting. I didn't even hear what you said. So here's my point. Here's my encouragement, and maybe you can take this as a challenge, that's okay. Winning the race looks like getting close to Jesus. How are you getting close to Jesus? Are you just waiting for it to kind of like magically happen to you? Or do you have some, some ideas? It could be very, very simple, very practical, hopefully very achievable. Maybe get a friend who can be like a real encouragement to you. That's what winning this race looks like. Finding simple, practical, hopefully life-giving ways to get closer to Jesus. Meditating on scripture, spending time in prayer, maybe fasting, prioritizing things like fellowship, church attendance, being quiet, practicing solitude, practicing giving, like all of the different things, setting some simple goals, being like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna run. I'm gonna get close to Jesus today. Can we stand together, please? Oh. Can the worship team join me up front, please? By the way, um, I just realized, and this is more my issue than anything, but I have to say this, but if you're wondering how I got from Abel to Jesus, uh, so Abel was a shepherd, and he shed his blood. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. 
and that is the word of the new covenant because of who he is and what he's done for us. I am a winner. I'm a winner in Christ Jesus, even on my worst day. I'm a winner because of his blood shed for me and the blood of Abel that was shed, the shepherd that shed his blood for his brother, as it were, that was a foreshadow to Jesus. That's how I got there. Let's pray together and then our worship team's gonna lead us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy of, of running this good race that you've set before us. Lord Jesus, thank you for making a way. Thank you that there's good news in this, this race metaphor. Uh, good for a guy like me who doesn't like to run. I'm not particularly interested in winning trophies, but I'm very interested in experiencing the life that you've rescued me for. Thank you for, for winning the race and inviting us to run. Thank you that you run with us, even as you call us to run together. Lord Jesus, you're not just standing in the stadium, you're coming beside us, helping us, strengthening us, inviting us to, to join in the fellowship of your suffering and experiencing life, true life, abundant life. Lord Jesus, would you help us? I pray that this season, as we take this little journey through the Old Testament and consider all these saints, that Lord Jesus, you would, you would give us a vision for what it looks like to win in this life.